you like to stay just as young as you are, not to grow a day older for the next 200 years? Oh, I'm not plugging some new miracle cosmetic. The question is actually faced by the characters in our story. I hope you'll enjoy it. Today, those characters are a researcher and a worm. The man wants to know how to stay young, and the worm has given him some surprising answers. Eternal Youth is no longer just the plotline of a science fiction movie. The Fountain of Youth. Scientists are able to prolong the lives of worms tenfold. So what's the secret? Stress. From News at Northeastern, this is Litmus, a conversation with Northeastern University's groundbreaking researchers. We connect what's going on in their labs to what's going on in your life. We're News at Northeastern reporters Emily Arnson and Aria Bracci. Today, we're talking to Northeastern biology assistant professor Javier Apfeld. He studies why things get old. Everything dies eventually. And he wants to know why. Do living systems need to age? And, and if they do, how long could they live? More specifically, he's trying to figure out why worms get old. And I, in particular, I study how the brain of the worm controls how long the worms live and how resilient they are. Now Javier wants to know how the brain and the nervous system determine the lifespan of these worms. You know, you can affect uh, the function of some neurons and the animals live 50% longer. He can increase the lifespan of a worm by changing how cells communicate with each other inside the organism. It's pretty amazing. Like they had this capacity uh, to live longer, but the neurons would say, no, it's not the right time now. And so uh, that's kind of interesting. Maybe we have something like that. So are you saying that these worms, if their neurons worked differently, they would have the ability to live longer? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's been known. We can make worms live five, six times longer. I don't know if we can do that in humans, uh, but uh, maybe we can. Why not? You know, like uh, these things have changed our intuition about what's possible. <laughs> so you, you can make the worms live five to six times longer? Well, people have done that. I mean, I, could, I know the recipe. There are a couple different recipes, actually. Like I said earlier, putting organisms in certain hostile living conditions, like starving them or putting them in cold temperatures, can actually make them live longer. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's hundreds of people studying aging in worms. I'm seeing the record now is like about tenfold worms living 180 days, half a year, instead of like 18 days. That's pretty good. We have the ability to make these worms live 10 times longer. Usually the worms, the species is called Cenorhabditis elegans, or C. elegans for short, Usually they live about 20 days, which makes them perfect for this kind of work. Researchers can observe an entire life cycle in about three weeks. Could you walk me through the lifespan of a worm? Yeah, well, so what is the life of a worm? So in C. elegans, there are two sexes. There are males that make sperm and hermaphrodites that make sperm, but they're also like females. And so the hermaphrodites are great because they make a little bit of sperm and then they lay eggs. So even if you put a hermaphrodite on a plate, three days later, they lay 300 eggs, uh, and those eggs hatch, and, the, and they grow into adulthood, and it takes about two days you know, from hatching to become an adult again. And so the whole cycle takes about three days. So after the babies hatch... The worms eat, and what do they eat? They eat bacteria. And the worms are kind of like a machine that makes more worms from bacteria. So you've got these bacteria-eating worm machines. 
They eat, they grow, they reproduce, and eventually... The worms get old? And when they get old, the worms actually look and act kind of the same way that we do when we get old. If you ever seen like a worm grow old and you... They look wrinkled and they're slow and they, they kind of look like us. So in fact, when people come to a lab and they bring their parents, you know, we usually like show them play with like young worms and old worms and they never seen a worm before. They never seen even use a microscope before and they, they're looking at them and they're like, oh. you know, this, this, their face like lights up. It's like, now I understand, you know, it's just like me. It's this, this kind of like empathy across like hundreds of millions of evolutionary distance, right? When these worms aren't living out their days on petri dishes, they're usually found in rotting fruit or soil, anywhere that's full of bacteria and decaying matter. If you, if you went to an apple orchard and you picked up a rotten apple from the ground, you probably find uh, some worms feeding on them and some of them might be sealed against. But they're not like... That classic cartoon image of a worm in an apple. They're not those big pink earthworms that live in your garden. Sea elegans are much smaller. Worms are tiny, so they're like a millimeter long. They're also see-through. They're transparent. I mean, they're kind of grayish looking, but, but then you can see through them, which is great because you can put them on a microscope and look at the inside without killing it. Um, so, so you can see right through them, in, like you can see their brains? Oh yeah, you can see their individual neurons, you can see their muscles twitch, uh, you can see them poop. C. elegans are the perfect test subjects for the work that Javier and tons of other researchers do. It's like a huge community of people studying aging in worms. And the worm community? They love these worms. This is Sean Johnson, a lab technician in Javier's lab. So I think one of the things that makes the worm community special, there's a sense of playfulness that I think the worm people pride themselves in. Sean and a group of researchers from his lab recently went to UCLA for a biennial C. elegans conference. And in a lot of ways, these conferences are just like any other research conference. But in a lot of other ways, these C. elegans conferences are not like conventional conferences. One of the classic things that happens at the International C. elegans Conference is the art show. Uh, it's just a nice little thing. So, for example, someone decorated their lab coat uh, with a giant worm and petri dishes. The winning submission was like a 20-foot graffiti piece under some bridge. And it was this psychedelic worm that is the only like, public worm art in the world. There's a video from the conference that's an hour and six minutes long of researchers singing worm folk songs. I'm going to sing you the song of the old worm pickers. And worm choir songs. And making jokes that only people who study C. elegans will understand. Neti pot improves worm olfaction. <laughs> Neil Med sinus rinse does not improve worm olfaction. It's probably too much pressure. One of the things that I liked the most about the conference was the focus on uh, the community aspect of research. The C. elegans community is anomalous in that it focuses on open research and sharing a lot of data. Are other communities just like territorial? I'm just like curious why this is different. You know, it might be that it's such, it's so focused on the basic science. In basic science, really what you're interested in is knowledge um, and not creating a product. So the worm people are so focused on basic science that you have this sense of sharing that's, that you don't see in, in a model like mice. 
So speaking of sharing secrets, what about the recipe that Javier was talking about earlier? What's the secret to making a worm live 10 times as long as it should? The community of researchers who study aging and sea elegance think that the key to living longer really depends on the worm's environment. And the more stressful, the better. And maybe some environmental cues that are perceived by neurons tell the animal things are going to be bad. So maybe you should prepare for a bad environment and that might make you more resilient. And in other conditions and in a good environment, you know, everything is great. So you don't need to prepare for adversity in the future. You're, you're fine. And maybe those worms are destined to live shorter. And so you're saying, you said that maybe if the environment is more stressful, the worm will like conserve energy or something and maybe live longer. And if the environment is more habitable, they might say, well, everything's good and they might live a shorter amount of time. Is that something that you found or is that something you're just speculating? speculating well, I mean, we, so many people have found things like this uh, in many organisms. What we are learning now is that Worms use all sorts of information from the environment to control their resilience to common stressors that they encounter, uh, like oxidants in the environment or temperature or things like that. Temperature is one thing that determines lifespan. If it's hotter, they live shorter. If it's colder, they live longer. Because? Chemistry goes more slowly at low temperature. And the worms? They don't keep their own body temperature like we do. So? If a creature doesn't control its own body temperature, then high temperatures, they should live shorter because you're just playing the movie faster <laughs> because the chemistry goes faster. You're just speeding up the aging process. The opposite also applies to cooler temperatures. So these worms actually live longer when it's colder than usual. Another thing that determines lifespan is food supply. Uh, worms have food, they get to reproduce, they get to grow, they get to do all they need. And so great, you know, maybe it's time to just live short and reproduce, and that's a great strategy. But an environment with very limited food, uh, where you you might not even have enough resources to reproduce, uh, uh, or if you think that that your progeny are not going to have enough resources to grow, maybe it's it's a better strategy. You yourself be more resilient until the environment changes. That's speculation. That's for sure speculation. Okay, okay. Eating less, or what scientists call dietary restriction, is well-proven to increase lifespan in lots of different species. But Javier and this general community of researchers can only speculate that the reason that dietary restriction works is because of some kind of survival of the fittest theory. Some researchers think that maybe the reason eating less food increases lifespan is because if a worm can sense that there's limited food, their bodies might naturally start to age slower in the hopes that there will be more food in the future that would mean a better chance for their children to survive. So the big question is, should humans just start fasting and freezing if they want to live longer? Sean doesn't think so. Do you practice dietary restriction? (laughs) Not intentionally. (laughs) Are you going to start? No, I like food. I like eating. (laughs) They did dietary restriction experiments with monkeys, and the monkeys lived longer, but they were extremely angry Um, and I'm a monkey (laughs) in a sense, and I get angry when I don't eat. So I would prefer to live a shorter life where I can enjoy my food than, than to live a few years longer, um, having been starved. Javier has a more optimistic take on this. 
if these organisms are living in an environment where they're eating less or they're not in an optimal state, mm -hmm. they're going to live longer. But it's, I mean, it's not necessarily like the perfect life. Like yeah, it for just, us. it's a little yeah, bit it's a good, Is it a good life? Yeah. Well, that's hard. It's hard to know if a woman is happy. It's hard to know if a person is happy. Uh, but, <laughs> but Javier says that if we could first understand how aging works, maybe we could do both, live longer and happier. I want to live the good life. You know, we want to want to live longer lives, and we want to live more meaningful lives. All of it, you know. Why, why, why settle? Special thanks to Javier Apfeld, assistant professor of biology and director of the Apfeld Lab, and Sean Johnson, a lab technician in Javier's lab. Sound engineering by Anthony Polito. Our editor is David Filipov. From News at Northeastern, this is Litmus. We're News at Northeastern reporters Emily Arnson and Aria Bracci. Talk to you next time. You'll notice old worm pickers have hunched backs. They stoop like they've got no more hope. Well, that's just from decades of looking at worms through dissecting and DIC scopes. We established the lineage of every worm cell with John Selston bringing it home.